Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Socially Distanced Podcast, the flagship podcast of the popbreak.com. And this, my friends, is the spookiest episode we will record in 2022 because we are talking about Halloween ends, the final film, we think, in the um, David Gordon Green, Danny McBride penned. Uh, Laurie Strode, Michael Myers trilogy. But before we get into all of that, I want to and I welcome my guests into the 130th episode of the podcast because I forgot to look that fact up before I started. Uh, just a little bit of housekeeping so everyone knows what's going on with the pod because we are not doing we don't have any uh, series to review. We're just going to be doing some individual podcasts. So hosting wise, of course, Al Manorino, uh, the very tired managing editor of the popbreak.com is uh, pretty much off for the rest of the year on paternity leave as a uh, TBD Manorino uh, shall be born at the end of the month. Um, I think this baby might be the Jersey devil, but you know, listen, I just, I don't write these things. It's just, you know, a baby born on Halloween in South Jersey near the Pine Barrens. You do the math. Uh, also, Amanda Rivas does not do horror, and she did watch this movie, so it's just me flying solo. But Amanda will be returning next week as we go to Westeros and we talk about the season one finale and the entire first season of HBO's House of the Dragon. Uh, following that, we will be uh, going into the Lord of the Rings finale, the Rings of Power. Then the NFC East group, the group therapy session will be reconvening. And one of the uh, guests on this podcast will be returning for that as well. We'll be talking about Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Thanksgiving week, we'll be talking about the Andor season finale, then heading into the willow premiere uh, which will be dropping on my birthday uh we also will be talking about the guardians of the galaxy holiday special we will be having our definitive christmas holiday spectacular which i definitely have to write and produce at some point and then we're doing our first ever year end awards so we're gonna have a very busy Ooh. end to the year and then we're gonna kick off the year because i actually planned out next year we're going to be starting our Cornetto Trilogy Rewatch. Hopefully Al will be back by that time. We'll be starting the year off with a rewatch of Shaun of the Dead. Now, with all of that out of the way, let us get into our guests and introduce them. First, he is a man in dire need of a hug. Why is that? Because his football team is absolutely murdering his soul. If you thought Michael Myers stabbing someone through the heart and hanging them up on a wall or whatever other violent delight that Michael Myers unleashed upon the world, none of it is painful as what the Washington commanders are doing to this sweet little boy. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, he is our favorite commander, the king of bangers and bops, Ben Murkison. My friend, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks. Talk about horror, right? I yeah. Well, listen, Taylor, Taylor Heineke is back, and you I, should win a couple games with him. But Ben, I have to ask you a very important Halloween-based question: What is the best Halloween candy? Oh, I should have been prepared for this one. Um, oh, I wanted to surprise everyone. I wanted an honest, fresh reaction. If you say milk duds, I'm going to kick you off the podcast. No, I think I'm pretty basic, though. I'm just going to go Snickers. Uh, Snickers are the, the Milky Way dark I like. I think those are the two for me. All right. 
I can get behind a Snickers. I can get behind that. Uh, coming to us from the de- deepest, darkest tombs of Las Vegas, Nevada. He is uh, a horror aficionado like no other. He, How much does he love horror? He watched every episode of the Fox TV series Scream, Scream Queens and reviewed it for thepopbreak.com. He also writes a brilliant quarter quarterly film uh, piece where he has talked about the movies from 1982, 1992, and 2002. And you guessed it, he's going to close it out with 2022. And when I say he watches all the movies from that, he watches all the movies from that year. Um, Tommy Tracy, the last time you heard we talked to you was about Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Sadly, no ugly Sonic in this one, but it's great to have you back, pal. Uh, thank you. I would have not thought it was out of character for ugly sonic to show up in this movie so i I mean he was i mean if anyone was gonna be the hero of this movie (laughs) but then again the hero of any movie it's ugly sonic always but tommy the question goes to you the ultimate halloween candy for you i like a good kit kat throw a kit kat in there and i'm happy i'll throw that bad boy in the fridge and eat it the next day oh you're a man of culture and taste my friend thank you man of culture and taste the fridge with that perfection. And uh, we could not be talking about horror without one of our favorite people to talk about horror with. The last time you heard her on this podcast, however, she was aboard a pirate ship talking about her two favorite boys, Steed and Ed, on our podcast means death, our our flag means death podcast. Um, also check out the Asbury Park Press. She was uh, heavily featured in an awesome article about horror films and queerness, uh, actually written by a former intern of mine uh, and a former coworker of Al's. Uh, she is the absolute ace and she's coming to us from the Black Lodge, aka uh, the Jersey Shore. Kelly McGovern, welcome back, dude. Hi, everyone. I'm so happy to be back. Talking horror, man. So, but, but before we get into the horror aspect of things, the ultimate Halloween candy. Reese's Pumpkins. And that, my friends, is the correct answer. Both of your answers were great, but the <laughs> right answer is Reese's Pumpkins. <laughs> As someone once said, it is the perfect amount of chocolate and peanut butter. And there's no wrapper to rob you of either. That's my favorite. So, Kelly, of course, you are the wisest of us all. Uh, ben, I still love you. I know you've, you You just keep collecting those L's, although you're probably not this week in fantasy football because you're probably going to beat me. So congratulations on that. I hope I just jinxed the whole thing for you. Uh, anyway, <laughs> let's get into the podcast. We're talking about Halloween ends. Of course, this is now playing in theaters and streaming on Peacock, although weirdly Halloween Kills is streaming on HBO Max now. I don't get streaming and rights fees, but that's why I'm not an attorney successful or make any money. I just run a podcast. So let's get into it, guys. Let's talk about your, we convened a horror panel last year and we talked about Halloween kills. Oh, sorry. Yes. Halloween kills. And we talked about your history in horror movies, but let's talk about the history with Halloween, the franchise itself. Uh, For me, I'm the Rook Dog here. I did not see any of the original Halloween films, nor have I seen any of those bits and pieces. I saw the one where Donald Pleasance's character confronted Michael Myers's character, Michael Myers in a uh, 
garage, like it, which seemed like in the middle of the desert, and it was really weird. And the he almost, blew, the, he almost blew up. And I was like, this is definitely where they're getting along with the tooth. I'm sure. Uh, I am going to watch the original Halloween, hopefully before Halloween, because I got to watch the classics. So I started with the Rob Zombie films, uh, like that first one, that second one. It's a movie, all right? And then, of course, I've seen all three of these. Uh, so that is my experience with Halloween. And I've generally liked them. Excuse me. I shouldn't drink on a podcast. Uh, I I generally like these films. I'm not a super fan, but I generally like them. So, uh, Tommy, I'm going to start with you. Your history with Halloween, the franchise. Uh, sure. I think I brought this up on pretty much every horror slash Halloween themed episode I'm on. But it's my favorite movie of all time. Obviously, those listening can't see, but showing you guys, I have tattoo on my arm. Nice. So uh, it is the movie that scared me so bad when I was a child that I ran to the bathroom and threw up into the toilet when I was seven. And that was your terrifier, too. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I was so scared. And then I realized, wow, something made me feel that scared. I love this movie. And I've watched it hundreds of times watch the sequels hundreds of times whether they're good or bad i probably watch this series at least twice a year it's my favorite movie aside from star wars it's my favorite franchise of all time excellent ben uh most people know you for your your we mostly have you on like star wars podcasts or when you're just talking about football or you know electronic music uh but we don't often we talk to you about horror so tell us your relationship with halloween the franchise you've never talked to you about electronic music here on bill <laughs> no no we just we just reference it constantly <laughs> uh well I'm, yeah i'm definitely not a horror aficionado uh no tattoos on me to you know commemorate the movie um in fact like i was asked to fill in for horror expert and hail which is like asking some guy you've never heard of uh and asking him to try to replace michael myers in the finale of your uh, of your movie Oh. It's not going to be the same. <laughs> it's just not going to be the same. But uh, hopefully, I can bring something to the table here. Um, I but didn't I saw... you last year go to a cabin in the woods with your fian- then fiance now wife to watch scary movies, I and I thought I... you were going to die. I did. I did. We watched a lot of them there. Uh, I think we're planning on doing the same thing again this weekend. I made it last year. Just keep pressing the luck, you know. <laughs> one day, <laughs> one day it'll come. Uh, but um, MTK. as far as <laughs> As far as Halloween, uh, I think the first one that I actually saw was H2O. Uh, randomly, I think I was maybe 10, 12, something like that. And uh, I rented that one off of like the satellite, really liked it, thought it had a great ending. Um, having watched all of them now, I feel like that probably should have remained the, the main ending that we went with. But uh, I worked in a video store in high school, and I, I remember after I watched that one, I went back and you know watched all of the old ones. Uh, exception of they did not have Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, uh, in the store for whatever reason. And... I still have not managed to see that movie. So that's the only one out of them that I haven't seen. Um, I know there wasn't the direct tie-in to Michael Myers in that one, uh, but I know that this movie actually has a little bit of you know thematic tie-in. I think that you guys will probably talk about. But as far as all the classics last year's, like the Freddies and the Jasons, Michael Myers was always my favorite. And Kelly, close us out. Tell about tell us about your relationship to uh, all the spookiness that has happened in Haddonfield. All right. Well, um, I have probably seen each film in the series at least once, but the OG 78 Halloween is a like staple. Every Halloween I watch it, it's kind of like a comfort film at this point. Um, And 
Oddly enough, I've never seen it on the big screen, and I'm actually rectifying that this year by seeing nice. it at the showroom on Halloween. So, um, yeah, it's you know it's a fantastic series, and uh, definitely one if somebody's looking to get into horror, I would probably use this as like the gateway for anyone interested. And for those who don't know the showroom, especially if you're joining us, if you just discovered us after our last week's episode, which is one of our highest listened to episodes of all time, uh, the showroom is in an independent uh, cinema in Asbury Park, New Jersey. So if you're in the New Jersey area, go support independent cinema. Or if you're not in New Jersey, go support independent cinema wherever you live, because um, it's pretty awesome. Uh so let's get into the film itself, uh, or the series itself, I should say, the Danny McBride, David Gordon Green series, which uh, premiered in uh, 2018. Um, I loved that first one. I was like, wow, this is really good. Like, this is really good. Loved maybe too strong, but I really liked it. I was like, this is this is good. And I love, but what I did love about it was the ending. <laughs> Excuse me. So I love the fact that it's like, ah, he's burning. Oh, and then the fire trucks are on the way and the strode women are screaming, no. And I'm like, that is such a great way to end the film. Then the second movie happened. I was like, what the fuck are we doing here? This is a commentary on mob mentality. I I, I can see a comment. I can see this every single day on the news. I really don't need this right now. And it was all right. Listen, I like the fact that Anthony Michael Hall got something to do. Good for him. Uh, so overall, I've been like, I would give this on a scale of one to ten. I give this like uh, uh, these those two films uh, cumulatively. I'd probably give it about a six and a half. So I like uh, six and a half, seven. So I like it. I, I was excited to see this one. Um, Kelly, I'll go back to you first. Your relationship with this new inst- uh, new installment of the Halloween series. Um, I would definitely say that uh, Halloween 2018 and then Halloween Kills were things that I anticipated and expected and like wholeheartedly embraced. Like it was just incredibly cool to be back in, you know, the space with like Laurie Strode, Michael Myers, and to, you know, realistically envision what would happen all those years later. How would somebody who went through what they went through kind of react in, um, you know, a current situation. So I had a great time with both of those. Um, and then this last one was a big surprise for me. I don't think you're going to be the only one to say this on that this podcast. Um, ben, what did you think of those first two McBride? I'll just call them McBride of films. <laughs> the McBride movies. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, like you said, I had a good bit of excitement for the first one. Uh, when that one came out, you know, the return of Laurie Strode, you know, even with them going like the pick whatever timeline you want to go with kind of route um, that fits. But I thought that was really strong. I really loved the ending of that one, like you talked about. Um, and then it had a fun opening to Halloween Kills, like as he kind of does the firefighter massacre. Um, and then for me, it just kind of went off the rails a little bit. I think that one survived mostly off of just bringing back a lot of um, you know original characters from the first movie and ramping up the violence a little bit. Um, and then it leads us to, to this one. Tommy, I know you have a lot of thoughts on Halloween Kills. Oh, I do. Uh, uh, I so, think so, I was but, the one who loved Halloween Kills the most. And uh, so uh, of these two, you know, put these two together. Like, where does this whole, like, where does this rank for you amongst, since this is your favorite franchise, where do these two rank? Uh, so I 
thoroughly enjoyed the 2018 Halloween. Uh, I thought it was a great return to form. Uh, as much as I liked the rest of the series, most of them aren't very good. And I know that. Uh, that was just a very well-made film, pretty scary, had a lot of great points to make about it and completely erased everything else, like you said. Halloween Kills was just bananas. And the titles, the name is in the title. I mean, it's Kills. He kills absolutely everyone he comes in contact with. And that's all I really wanted from that movie because I knew there was going to be a third one. If they didn't know ends was going to happen, might have had a little different opinion on kills, but it's, in my opinion, the Empire Strikes Back of the Halloween series. Wow. Yeah. So wow. that's an Owen oh, Wilson. Yeah. Wow. I, I, last year, I think I said that on the podcast, kills is my second favorite of the movies. Now, I, also, I, have, now a that, I have a terrible memory, so thank you for reminding me. Now that I've watched Ends three times in the past week since it came out, this one is my favorite. Second favorite of the whole series. Nothing's going to top the original. It's the greatest movie ever made. Uh, But in this series, Halloween Ends is exactly what I wanted because it was not what I knew was going to happen. If I want to watch the same movie over and over again, I will watch the rest of the movies in the series. Two, four, five, six, H2O, Resurrection. But this was so fucking out of left field that i was like my mind's blown this is incredible for me okay let's let's just get into this because i'm going to start with some hyperbole this movie is batshit insane like this is my fit one of my favorite outside of seeing thor love and thunder with my daughter which is great um because man that running commentary woof Taika Waititi, call me up. Have my daughter record the director's cut, like the <laughs> commentary track. Great. Great. But uh, this was one of the most batshit things I've ever seen in my life because at times for me, and we're going to get, we're going to break down the quarry of it all. We're going to get into old man Michael Myers who gets shoved and doesn't really like to get up. You know, he's got a pitch in his get along. We got so much to discuss here. But this at times was one of the worst movies I've ever seen, but also one of the best movies I've ever seen. Like it is like it it makes choices. It goes places. And I got to tell you, it's one of the ballsiest movies I think you'll ever see. I don't I'm going to go on a limb and say this. You do not have to see the first two movies to jump into this and be like, what am I watching? I can't look away. More, please. Thank you. That's just my hot take of way too much caffeine before I started this podcast. So setting the table for that. Um, let's talk about everyone's expectations going into this. Now, Tommy, were you hoping to get what you got in this movie? In the sense that I loved having the rug pulled out from underneath me and landing face first on the floor. Absolutely. Did I think it was going to go that way? No. Was I happy it did? Yes. Ben, I feel like you like this movie the least of us. And also, I'm like sort of on the level of at time. This is I've never felt more ambivalent about a movie in my life. But like, how, how what were your expectations going into this? Yeah, I mean, expectations based off of Halloween Kills that didn't really feature Laurie Strode heavily. I thought this would be a very Laurie Strode versus Michael Myers, like heavy movie that would focus on them and then kind of them bringing their, you know, battle to a close. So that's my expectation going into it. Kelly, what's your expectation going into this film? When you're sitting down in the showroom with all your friends and family and the people you love in life, what are you expecting? 
not this. And <laughs> in, in the same vein of what you and Tommy had said, I literally was wooed so hard by this movie. I went in with just not expecting the magic that was going to take place, never even thinking it was possible. And I just, this was one of the most rebellious acts of directing that I have ever witnessed in a horror franchise or ever maybe. I, I was blown away. This movie has my heart and soul. <laughs> I, yes. And like I said, I'm very ambivalent towards this movie. I cannot recommend this movie enough to literally every human being in my life. But buyer beware. <laughs> so let's <laughs> let's talk about the Corey of it all. So if people don't know, there is a character. His name is Corey. And he actually starts this whole movie. Uh, Corey is played by uh, Corey Cunningham. And we meet him. Um, this is uh, a few years before the, this, the where the movie starts. Uh, where the movie takes place, I should say. So he is, this is post-Halloween uh, uh, kills Haddonfield and he's babysitting this little douchey kid because let's face it most kids in horror movies or movies in general are douchey um, just my thought uh, listen I don't make the rules I just observe them uh, and he accidentally kills him in one of the most fucking shocking I can't believe they went that big with the death deaths um, so he's arrested for the murder of this this kid he gets off but obviously heavily emotionally mentally spiritually scarred and we follow him as essentially the lead character of this film it's not laurie strode it's not any of the strodes it's Corey. so and he's played by rohan rowan candle campbell i should say who is also on i forgot this was a show the hardy boys on the cw um i forgot that's still a thing um it actually might not even be still a thing, to be honest with you, but who cares? We're talking about Halloween. How do you guys feel about the decision to make Corey like essentially the centerpiece of this film? Uh, Kelly, I'm going to start with you because I feel like you have a lot of emotions that you want to get out about this character. Very, very hard to sum up in a nutshell because in all honesty, this is like an incredibly layered character he certainly presents in one way, like there's just like a lot of um, just wild choices that are made with him and how he presents. Um, ultimately though, if I'm like looking at this from um, a bit more of a serious point of view, I think his character really presents the perfect opportunity to allow us as movie viewers to practice empathy because I think you can look at everything that he had gone through, empathize with him, but then also observe and disagree with the choices he then makes as the lead character of this film. And this is, I feel like a breakthrough for this franchise in really looking at it from a, um, a, like a, a human good versus evil perspective and like the, evils that can come out of the choices that we make. That's interesting. Cause when I first saw it, I'm just like, Oh, are we forgiving incels now? Cause that's a, that's a choice. 
Um, and then that was my knee jerk reaction. And then when we get further down the road, you see that he is, and I think this speaks to a larger uh, thing they're going for in the film. It's like, he is the result of the toxicity and this like, like how much this town is dying on the inside and has been corrupted by the specter of Michael Myers and how everyone is looking for the new, uh, he even says it, they're looking for the new boogeyman. So he's the new boogeyman. And unfortunately they, they create the monster they the town helps create the monster and even in some ways you could say lori pushes you know allison to meet him kind of helps throw a little fuel on the fire at, at times so it's it's very interesting how your knee-jerk reaction is like oh this this, this guy's an incel and he's he's a, he's not a good dude and then you look like oh, i was like oh but like they kind of like you said they helped create the monster and his choices also helped create the, the, the ultimate monster that he became that we saw at the end of the film. So it was pretty bold to move away from Michael Myers and completely focus on someone we had no connection to, because this, like Ben said, the second film, we tie in so many characters from the past of Halloween. There's so many people. That it's like, oh, that kid's, oh, it's this kid who's grown up. It's this person. It's this person. Now it's just like, oh, here's someone out of the blue. And I think that's a really interesting thing. Uh, ben, also, I'm going to kick it right to you. But Corey of it all does making him the straw that stirs the drink for this film work for you? Yeah. And I mean, you had mentioned I might be the person that likes the film the least. I uh, I actually like the movie as a whole. I have like the reservations about it being, you know, this, that it's supposed to be the last you know chapter of this story. But oh, yeah, um, but Roy Campbell, as an actor, I thought did a tremendous job, you know, going through and portraying Corey, uh, both when he's, you know, the sweet kind of kid babysitting and, and whatnot, you know, kind of then him getting picked on and we show empathy, Michael Myers shows empathy. Uh, and then he does an even better job when he takes this turn into a total sociopath. Um, the only thing with me that maybe doesn't work is just it, it all seems to, he makes that jump pretty quick, which is tough to do like in a movie. Um, but I feel like a lot of these films have kind of taken the time jump, you know, philosophy rather than the character building philosophy. You can kind of just okay. assume that people are different over the course of the next year or two years, or they've gotten over this, or they're still holding onto that. So they did that a little bit, but um, having to watch his whole character play out in one movie was a little tough to see him get to where he ultimately got so quick, unless you buy into the you know transfer of evil um, you know philosophy maybe of the movie that they might have been going for too. So you can interpret it a couple of different ways, I guess. What about you, Tom? Uh, I I liked the character, um, especially from the beginning. I mean, he came off like like you said, an incel is a, a proper word for him. And he continued to grow throughout the, the three-year gap between his intro and the end of the movie. Uh, a lot of people I know are annoyed that they said, well, he just flipped like that. But you got to think, even if the movie doesn't spell it out for you, it is a three-year gap between 2019 and 2022. Imagine how you would feel in that scenario. And that's kind of what I took from it. Like, I would be angry. I would be pissed. I would feel like the town pariah, which he becomes. And... I could also understand the way the town feels because you see, you, you think he killed a kid. Obviously we know he didn't, but they would think like, Oh, he killed this kid purposely. We need someone to blame. Uh, I love the callback. This is kind of an aside, but yeah, when okay. Lori's doing her, um, 
her voiceover, you see the lady hanging in the devil costume. And that's the kid who in the first one got impaled on the fence post wearing a devil costume. That's his mother. She sees her dead son in the second one. Now that she has killed herself while wearing the same costume he died in. I think something like that's completely brilliant. It's all kickstarted because they think he's gone. And then this kid dies a year later. Now they're like, well, we need, like you said, we need a Michael Myers. We need someone to blame. And I feel for the kid, not that I would be in his shoes, preferably, but I feel that they actually tapped into that character very well in a 120, 110 minute runtime. One thing I want to discuss with you guys is while we think that we're all in agreement that while there is some, we have to, you know, a leaps of faith a little bit with the, you know, how quickly he becomes Michael Myers. And, and then some of the stuff I thought like when he's, when we see the homeless guy uh, by the down by the river, I was like, well, I know Corey's going to stab that guy just because (laughs) it's like, you knew it, it was, it was set up. It's perfectly fine. But his relationship with Allison was, I think one of the things that I'm not sure I'm still trying. I'm still wrestling with this. Like, did it work for me? Because at times he would go to her. He'd be like, yo, I killed somebody. Now, the first time he says that I'm like, okay, he's like saying about this, the kid. Then he comes back later covered in blood. Yo, I killed somebody. And she's like, oh, that's okay. You know? And, and, and then, and then she, he's, she wants him to burn it down. Like hadn't feel down. And I'm sitting there. I'm just like, but it's also like, but don't kill people. It's a lot of, I don't know if it's mis- mixed messages that were intentionally sent or this thing wasn't written well enough. I just don't know if the relationship worked in the film for me, except for one scene where they're on the radio tower together. I felt like that was the one time I'm like, okay, this relationship makes sense because all the other times I felt like, I feel like they're trying to really make the film was trying to make this relationship work instead of letting it breathe. They're like, no, 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 it's going to work. It's going to work. It's going to work. I felt they were really forcing it. Uh, Kelly, I want you to get your thoughts. What did you think of this central relationship, romantic relationship between these two? So overall, I feel like there was certainly a level of campiness that it was portrayed so that like I got pure joy out of a lot of their <laughs> scenes together. But yeah. in real life, I would not advocate for this. No. <laughs> but this, is a, this is a movie. It's not real. And we can be all for it. We can stand this couple. Um, you know, I, I do think that it was a very fast moving relationship. It really felt like you knew this guy for three days. But I also could see like, two people that go through traumas that kind of mirror each other, finding camaraderie with each other and developing a support system because it did seem like they were drawn to each other and understood each other um, and even were hoping to help each other. But again, it comes down to, uh, you know, the element of choice. And I don't think that, you can rectify like when you start to see what Corey has become, you can't really like root for that relationship. And you kind of see how trauma can also like bring people together, but tear people apart. So, um, right. Cause the, one of the choices he could have made is she was waiting for him to leave town and he instead went and killed the doctor and the nurse. Yep. So yeah, there you go. So Tommy, what did you think of this relationship? Did this relationship work for you? Uh, it did, and I took it 
kind of the same way Kelly did, but in a way where you brought up the, you know, I killed someone and she's thinking he's talking about the kid he killed. Right. Uh, and I get that. Like, yeah, you know, she thinks he's just kind of coming out to her and telling her these are the traumas I'm feeling. And then I, when he continues to do it, I didn't feel like he is saying I've killed someone recently. I think okay. the second time he the second time he does it, he's covered in blood because he gets his ass kicked by those band geeks, which, by the way, I was in band was never a bully. I was the bullied. <laughs> I was a fucking nerd. There is no way that as a, I was going to go out there and pick on somebody as a theater kid <laughs> at an all boys Catholic high school. I can tell you, I did not bully anyone either. Right. Although, that was when, probably although my... when the swim team guys were like, you guys are about, you know, said a couple yeah. things. I'm like, brother, you were a speedo and shave all the hair off your body. Let's 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 just leave it there. There's no room to, to, be, to be casting stones because I wear tights. So right. um, so he explains that, you know, he basically got his ass kicked. He got accosted by these kids thrown off the bridge. And he's I think to me, at least he was still saying I'm still traumatized by all this and everybody is blaming me for it. So even though he did stab someone, he's covered in blood, in my opinion, to her, it's, well, it's his blood. He's covered in blood because he got punched in the face and he got tipped okay. over a bridge. All right. That's all right. I, you know, I, I didn't take it that way, but that, that's a really interesting perspective to think about. And yes, but I did kind of like the fact that the nerds were the ones who picked on him. I was just like, that's how messed up Haddonfield is. Cause even the bullies yeah. are even depressed. They're like, we're not like, listen, play. as a drummer, I cannot imagine I've, poked myself with a drumstick one of the kids gets a drumstick jammed in his eye so can't imagine what that feels like i never i never want you to know i never <laughs> I, I hope this for you forever ben the relationship between allison and Corey. um uh, did this work for you was it did did this feel like they were trying to make fetch happen essentially which is yeah, my I mean, always my go-to when i try and say something like that i mean for me i kind of the same mindset as Corey's transition it, it seemed rushed and a little bit forced in, in some ways forced by Lori. I mean, this is, she was coming off, uh, the granddaughter was coming off of a relationship with a police officer, I guess. Right. And then that had just recently ended and then immediately was jumping into to this relationship and seems like as soon as she locks eyes with him, like in the doctor's office that she was like love at first sight, which seemed a little weird. Uh, and then like you guys were talking about, she's overlooking a lot of, you know, serious red flags, first of which is him being someone that's bullied and beaten up by band geeks, uh, you know, several years younger than him. Um, but it, I did like the, the radio tower scene. That one did work. As you mentioned, I would have called that out. Um, other than that, the only the other time that I felt the relationship bonding, and I don't know if you guys got this at all, but I got a lot of drive vibes like Ryan Gosling and drive. There's a lot of riding on the motorcycle with electronic music in the background, no dialogue, just smiling. <laughs> I was like, this is supposed to infer that they're falling in love. And that's, that's the only way that I can make that leap with them. <laughs> I mean, that'd be, <laughs> so one thing I thought that happened because I didn't see the movie until a few days ago. There was a meme out there with Corey on the bike and Michael holding on to him. <laughs> and I was like, oh, because this movie's nuts. So I'm like, I could see this happening. I could definitely see this happening. But it didn't, sadly. But let's talk about Michael Myers. One of the things that... Uh, Michael essentially, so we discover him. He's high. Obviously, we knew he was going to be in this movie. He he never left. He apparently he's he's a ninja turtle now. He's living in the sewers, um, which would have been that would have been a great crossover. But alas, he's he, Corey ends up in there, and Michael grabs him by the throat, and he stares into his eyes and lets him go. How did that moment work for you guys? 
Tommy, I want your opinion first. That moment there, because just I, I just need your thoughts on this. Uh, I I thought it was at first very confusing. That's the slight part. Originally, I turned against the movie. I was like, well, what's happening here? But as it continued to go along, I feel even though as, as silly as it sounds, Michael saw a little bit of himself, like darkness, evil, a lot of anger that he needed to let go. And the way they let go is killing people saw that in Corey. And so he basically is while I'm recuperating from my three year injury, which is a long time. Uh, this I can kind of teach this kid how to kill for me in a way. Kind of reminds me of Freddy, Freddy's Revenge, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, in a way, uh, without the gay subtext. But I, I, the transference of evil is the easiest way to say it. And Michael is evil. The transference is going into someone younger, that being Corey. Okay. Um, ben. Yeah, that was the only way that I could really infer that moment was because it's like a, it was basically seeing his visions of like the life that he'd been living through, like since the accidental you know killing of the kids. So I, I took it as a transference of evil, which is the only way that I could really accept the character making such a huge leap, not even from when he had the accident, you know, with the kid, but more of him kind of still being like a sweet kid when we first meet him like three years later to then transition really fast. That's kind of the jump that I, I didn't you know, like as much. But you know, as far as Michael in general, um i i know he's been hiding out in the sewer uh we kind of he doesn't appear i think it's like 40 45 minutes or something yeah, in the movie until he first pops out um but he's apparently i inferred anyway and you guys probably saw this too but there's like the billboard for like the missing girl and that was like she went missing in october like i think it might have even been october 31st of halloween so i still infer that michael was out there killing people just not maybe on the regular and he hasn't been seen in three years um and i think even like the old guy um that was kind of crazy talking was mentioning that you know he drags people in there they don't come out so why did you get to come out type thing so um i think michael was still very active over this time but uh it was it was really weird seeing him um kind of in this weaker state you know uh obviously he got the crap beat out of him in the last movie never should have really lived through that one um you know but somehow it did but he's kind of a shell of himself here and He's old as fuck, man. It was time for this one to end. <laughs> I mean, realistically, like he's he's old. He shouldn't be out there killing anybody anymore. Anyway, it was time to move on. Yeah, but I, mean, I do want to know: Did he's he sixty-five? Well, we'll, did, we'll get. Did he ride on the motorcycle? Like, how did he get to the doctor's house? I hope he was holding on. Or did they uh, walk there slowly? I don't know. Uh, that would be a really cool, you know, behind-the-scenes featurette. I feel like just based on the reaction of it. I really hope they have that in the can. They're like, oh, by the way, here you go. Just to piss you guys off a little bit. Uh, Kelly, what was your thought on this uh, transfer of evil? Michael finding his, you know, finding his, you know, his, his student. Like, you know, what did you think of this moment? This, this longing embrace these two had? It did have a passing of the torch kind of feel. And, um, you know, I think even with the introduction sequence where we see Laurie driving around and just looking at, you know, the shape of evil and the different forms that it could essentially come. Like you look at all these bad things that could happen, not necessarily because of Michael Myers, because I think at this point, his shadow is starting to grow smaller in terms of Haddonfield, but evil itself as a presence, it's changing shape and it's like, evil as other people. So we're kind of seeing, you know, this 
yeah, it's it's like kind of a almost a generational transformation. It's being passed down. Um, so that's like what I took from it. Okay, you guys have actually made this scene better for me because I at first because I watched it once. I'm like, oh, okay. That was one of the scenes I'm like, all right, okay, I get it, I guess. Uh, but now the way you guys are framing it for me, I'm just like, okay, this that makes way more sense. Um, but let's talk about Michael Myers being like, you know, getting an AARP magazine essentially mailed to the sewer. Um, he's getting the senior discount and he loves his early bird murders. He's an older guy. You know, he he got he got the the brakes beaten off of him in the last movie, but we've always known him as this unstoppable Frankenstein monster killing machine. But at one point, Corey kind of just shoves him and takes his mask. How do you feel about? But yet, in another scene, we could see him stab someone, have them four feet off the ground, and put a rusty ass kitchen knife through their heart through a wall. How do you guys feel about a? non-indestructible human Michael Myers. Tommy, I want to start with you first. I mean, no one wants to see 65-year-old Michael Myers wrestle 61-year-old Laurie Strode for an entire movie. That's Listen, just that's, how many that's times watching the grumpy watch, old men go at it. How many times did you watch Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan wrestle in TNA? And I didn't want to. I, yeah, know, I just, didn't want to. The, the undercard joke. is what sold those pay-per-views. So Very good. Thank you. We got uh, wrestling. We had to get wrestling on here, guys. So yeah, I guess we, I, we made it I enjoyed the younger aspect of it because you get someone much more spry, much more. Uh, I mean, I'm not gonna say this kid's muscular. He's built like me. I'm not taking anyone out, but that's that's an aside. Um, I I enjoyed to jump ahead a little bit the Michael Laurie fight we got at the end. That's as long as it needed to be. We saw what they did in 2018 together. They had a whole 20 minute scene together, and it yes. was fantastic. And jumping back to, like I said, the end of this again, doing doing a five to eight minute fight scene between them is all it was enough. I enjoyed seeing someone younger, more spry, more not evil, but more with violent, not with more violent tendencies, but with the same style of violent tendencies, do what Corey did. And Michael just sat back and watched. And with the girl that he pinned up against the wall, which was obviously a callback to the original movie, that girl weighed like 30 pounds. I don't think old man Michael Myers is going to have a problem lifting her up against the wall and stabbing her. That's true. He still is like seven feet tall. You know, yeah. he's got he's got grandpa strength. Uh, but yeah, it's a very interesting point where it's talking about, it's almost like he's like the classic monster movie, you know, from the, you know, it's the big, tall monster the imposing figure whereas maybe the new generation monster is someone who's an everyday looking person right and i've seen i've seen michael kill hundreds of people no death has shocked me to my core more in these movies than that kid falling from the top of the stairs onto his dome and that wasn't michael doing that that was this through fault of both of their own Corey kicking the door down and the kid falling to his death so that's a plus for me. Nice. Uh, Kelly, what did you think of uh, senior citizen Michael Myers? Old man Michael. Um, I felt like it was a believable progression. Like everybody is aging in this. And I think it's unrealistic to not consider Michael as, you know, a human being like you know an old man with a mask is really what they um that Corey calls him and 
I think that's an interesting way to put certain things in perspective, too, because uh, we had two movies before this that really talk about evil dies tonight. But the ways in which they tried to dispatch of that evil weren't working. So, like, how do you diminish that evil by essentially turning your back on it, by calling it an old man in the mask, taking away its power, and then, you know, like, Corey's going to utilize it, or, like, Lori... Uh, in the beginning is trying to live her best life like and really trying to let go of that evil so it's an interesting take on how to actually destroy evil I think what comes out of old man Michael what did you think Ben of rickety bones Michael Myers I think Michael was trying to live his best life too just hanging out in the sewer picking off the weak people that came by but then this Corey kid goes and messes up the works uh, you know brings him back out into the showdown I mean, I don't know. The, the last time we saw him, he literally killed an entire mob of people. So uh, and he Judy was, Greer. yeah, and Judy for whatever reason, it just came around and had to you know, pick her off before he disappeared for a while. That was a bummer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, no, I, I kind of talked about it already. But I think the only person that he really killed on his own was the nurse that he pinned to the wall. Other than that, it was all a group effort and mostly Corey. Um, and so, yeah, I get, the, I get the the aspect of it that. I mean, it kind of comes to my overall thoughts about the movie that maybe there should have been some of the storyline for this one should have been in the second one and the second one should have been in this one uh, so you can kind of see him at full strength. But but yeah, as I said, it, I think it was time for him to, to wind down and he didn't get to go out on his own terms, retirement, you know, living in the sewer. He had to go out the hard way. I don't know, man. I think he wanted to go out the hard way. Uh, but let's, Kelly, you brought up Laurie Strode and let's get into the Jamie Lee Curtis of it. Uh, of course... Jamie Lee Curtis having a banner year, everything, everywhere, all at once, going to be in the Haunted Mansion. Uh, just everywhere you turn around, she's just having yet another uh, Jamie Lee Curtis sounds. And uh, there are rumors that she might be up for an Oscar nomination as well. So pretty good year for Jamie Lee Curtis. But let's talk about where we find Laurie Strode. When we first meet her in this trilogy, she is armed to the teeth. She is paranoid she is ready for michael to return uh she's mostly you know has an, a weird strain a strange relationship with her daughter and her granddaughter now a granddaughter living with her she's writing a book trying to get her trauma out uh maybe a little romance with will Patton over there um how do we how do just i want your guys overall thoughts on just this new like how Lori is like kind of trying to move on here do we really buy it? Like, did you ever think like, ah, oh, no, this is all just a fucking act and she's going to go back to gun toting Laurie Strode. Like, you know, when she needs to, she's going to push a button. There's a whole arsenal of stuff. You know, what did you think of this portrayal of Laurie here? Cause remember last time she was the one trying to convince the Bob, you know, she was trying to like calm everyone down. Essentially she's trying to be the voice of reason amongst madness. So Ben, I'll start with you. What, how did you feel about the portrayal of or the characterization of Lori in this film. Um, well, she did have some terrible dialogue at times. Uh, some things that uh, didn't necessarily make sense. There's no really denying that. Um, I think they relegated her a bit to being more of a, a narrator kind of for this film, like a lot of it, kind of given the backstory in the beginning. And like you talked about writing the book, uh, a la Sydney Prescott, you know, from Scream to try to overcome her trauma. Um, I did like all of her interactions with Frank and I like the overall arc of that, you know, kind of relationship and the, the happy ending that she gets here. Um, I thought all of that was really cute in the grocery store. Nice little break from, uh, you know, from the, the madness a bit. And then 
everything from when she does the suicide call uh, on was was terrific. And that was very, very strong. And I loved all of that, you know, moving forward. So I I think she was obviously she's a back part of the story for most of it. But she gets her moment, you know, from the suicide call on. She crushes it and then, you know, crushes. <laughs> literally yeah. crushes. It. Yeah, literally crushes. Um, I thought the whole suicide thing that's easily the best part of the I think the best perform- part of her performance, it's like slam dunk. Uh, Thought of the uh, call an ambulance, but not for me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, Tom, what was your thoughts? I mean, you've been with Laurie Schrode, ride or die since the first movie. How did you feel about how she was portrayed in this one? Uh, I Again, I sound like a broken record, but I, I loved it. I don't think she, she softened, but was still not, she wasn't stupid. She knew there's always a possibility. And I took it as her softening up to take care of her granddaughter because indirectly through her, both of her parents are dead. Her boyfriend's dead. Her best friend's dead. They're all dead. And this girl needs a paternal figure and she becomes that paternal figure. She right. protects her granddaughter while also being the parent. And I thoroughly enjoyed that. And I've, as I rewatched all three of these movies, I noticed something that will piss a lot of people off, but makes perfect sense to me. Michael doesn't care about Laurie Strode. He, it's not about her. When you watch that first movie, he's not coming after her. He doesn't even notice she's there until she shoots him. And then he doesn't go to her house. He is taken to her house and realizes there are people there. So he is going to kill those people. A second movie doesn't go to where she's at in the hospital. He goes home. And then the third movie, he only comes after her because Corey comes after her. So as great of a character as Lori is, she's really not important to Michael. His city, his town is important to him. His home is important to him. He is, it's called the night he came home, not the night he came after his sister. That's not his sister anymore. That's right. Oh, is, is that in the film that she's not his sister? Yeah, in the in the uh, in the new one, in the first movie she's not, but the second original second movie she is his sister. Right. But they have completely wiped that. Okay, good, good, good. Multiverse, uh, you know, it's multiverse. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like everything, everywhere, all at once. She's in the multiverse, and it's it's timey wimey. Um, it's <laughs> uh, uh, Kelly. What do you think about uh, the icon that is Jamie Lee Curtis in this film? Um. She's absolutely incredible. I kind of think that uh, overall, this really reflects um, just a lot of who she's been uh, on a personal level um, in interviews and just kind of uh, being very candid about um, her life and struggles and, uh, you know, how she has found herself, uh, you know, in a place of just like feeling good right now. Um, So I I kind of thought this was really like uh, her speaking through this character. But uh, I also took it if you compare it directly to the very first Halloween uh you kind of look at Laurie Strode as being you know like very reserved and like very nice not really having like too much fun having that like you know fun teenage like lovey-dovey experience talking about like boys and stuff um and I kind of feel like after everything she's gone through this movie sort of gave her a moment to kind of experience that like teenager like almost childlike joy and it was very effective. It was very sweet to watch. And in that crushing moment when she's uh, leaving the grocery store, walking through the parking lot and seeing one of Michael's victims and kind right. of having that all come crashing down, that was portrayed beautifully. And you really like felt that hit. Definitely agree on that. Yeah, that that scene really, 
because he, he comes back. Remember, Will Patton's character comes back. She's crying in the car and she's like completely lost that moment, lost that joy that she had just previously had. Uh, one thing I want to touch on before we get into like kind of like our closing thoughts on this is, and we've touched on this already, is like, I feel like with this, with, especially with the last film and this film, Green and McBride are trying to go for a bigger, it's not just about Michael Myers. It's not just about Halloween. It's They're trying to tell this bigger story. Like I said, with Halloween Kills, when you watch it, it's like mob mentality, right? And uh, it's like at the time while watching it, you're like, guys, guys, we've gone through two years of this. We, we fucking get it. And it's, we don't need the reminder. But like now watching it, you look at kind of, let's see my exact words here. It's trying to be a larger allegory about how society can be like damaged by the this looming specter of evil or negativity and i feel like they're trying to make some sort of a larger statement about whether it's political or covid or what or social media whatever have you like what's dividing us and kind of corrupting society here and how that ending while it's so over the top and it is over the top where the entire town drives out and throws them in like a, a meat grinder essentially, but it's very symbolic of they've now purged and they can all now move on from the trauma. Did you guys feel that? Like, am I just, have I just lost my mind <laughs> and I've come up with this theory or do you feel like they were trying, like these films are trying to tell a larger story about society here like am, am i completely off base or what do you feel like the story the larger story they're trying to tell here so kelly i'm going to start with you because you usually get through my batch of craziness first uh i hear you and i totally agree with you i really did feel that this was a uh, allegory um you know unfortunately politics looms large and there are certain names of people that uh just will not stay out of the media and you kind of gotta wonder uh, especially with this last one like you know, what, what if you just like moved on, um, you know, and you didn't talk about that person anymore? <laughs> like, you know, what would that mean for society to uh, really just diminish that evil and just put it in a box and put it away? Um, and that was the allegory that I took from this, just, you know, society. <laughs> gestures to the world uh ben what about you like did you think they were trying to tell like a larger story here or is this bill i does bill need to start drinking again <laughs> i'm not going to make that determination for you bill uh, i <laughs> i appreciate it. you're not a doctor uh it's not a good profession to be in in this halloween series so oh yeah, not going well. Um, I I didn't dig very deeply in it, but I definitely, you know, listening to it and, you know, especially in the last one, there's a lot of those themes that are, you know, very relevant and pop up. I view this in a much more superficial way of just a way to keep the story going, um, that there can always be a new Michael Myers taking up the mantle. Um, you know, there's always evil people in the world. Here's one for this movie. If they want to keep it going, they can come up with another evil person and kind of do it in the same you know thing. We did have the the shot of the mask there at the end. Um, I mean, my, my favorite, you know, horror franchise is, is scream and they've got a different killer every time. So it's something that can continue with that. So I viewed it more as just a way to kind of keep that going without we'll digging get, too deep. We will get into that shortly. Don't worry. Um, Tommy, am I, uh, am I tripping balls right now or is this making sense? 
Uh, no, uh, it makes sense. I do want to point out that Halloween Kills was written and parts of it were filmed before March 2020 where COVID happened and then we right. had all the civil unrest. So in my mind, it's sort of them predicting what we would go through, even mm-hmm. though we could never truly believe that that's true. Uh, but if you look at it now, it's just, it it hits that exact spot. It is a huge social comedy commentary on mom mentality. And I think that comes back in in a huge way at the very end, like you mentioned, when they're basically Jesus Christing him through the crowd exactly into the, the thresher. <laughs> yeah. And everyone, at least that's living, is there. You know, obviously, uh, Lori and her granddaughter, uh, Will Patton's character, Sandra, who's in all three of them. Um, she's the one who got the light tubes in her neck in the last movie. She survived, can't talk anymore. She's in a wheelchair. Lead, help lead to the pack to kill this man who killed her husband and ruined her life. Julian from the first movie is there. The kid that the friend of uh, Andy Matichik's character is babysitting. Right. It's just all these little things coming together. And I, I do think you can look at it in that way, especially with this newer one. I don't know if you can do it so much as kills, but it is sort of this town healing from, everything that's gone wrong, just like we are all healing from the COVID-19 pandemic and the civil unrest and all of the political things that have gone on the past two to three years. All right. So maybe I'm not insane. All right, cool. Thanks guys. (laughs) Uh, No, Ben brought up a really good point. Ben, I'm putting you over brother. Uh, Is we see the mask at the end. Now this could just be a tease. This could be whatever. Has Halloween really ended? Are we done with Michael Myers? Because I look at, we tried resurrecting, you know, Freddy Krueger and Jason within the past 10 to 15 years. Hasn't really progressed since there. We've had this great movies that have come back and they're doing well. They keep coming back. Do we think Michael Myers is dead and buried as a as a character, as a franchise, do we see that happening? Or will the mantle once again be picked up down the road? Um, ben, I'm going to start with you since you brought it up. Uh, well, I mean, I, I think it works with Scream because it was always just a human being like in a mask and so somebody can die and they could, you know, just pick it back right. up and go from there. It's easy for that one. And it's easier for, I guess, even like Jason Voorhees and Freddie because it's a little bit more supernatural element. Obviously, Michael Myers shouldn't have survived a bunch of the stuff that he did, but we've got so many different, you know, arcs and time frames and whatnot that everything's happening in. Um, I, I would be surprised if this continued um, with its current cast of characters in any way, shape or form. I think that, you know, as a character, I mean, it's he's still going to make money regardless. So I would be very shocked if they didn't, you know, pick it up sometime down the road and just kind of reboot it again. I think that's inevitably what will happen because it's uh, it's it's going to make money at the end of the day. But I think we've seen the end of it in this particular, you know, time frame, narrative, uh, multiverse, whatever you want to go with. Kelly. Um, I totally agree with everything that Ben just said. I really think that this is it for this group. Um, if it's going to come back, it's going to be rebooted in some way or reframed or retold. But um, yeah, I think this is it. And what a cheeky way to go out. <laughs> Tommy, I mean, like you said, this is near and dear to your heart. What what is your what does your heart tell you? Uh, three for three with the other two on this. I mean, it's this has to be it for this group of people 
Halloween's going to make money in regardless. Uh, so in five to 10 years, if they make the sixth or seventh timeline to these movies, I'll be there day one. But for this trilogy, basically that David Gordon Green and Danny McBride did, this has to be it. I, I don't know how you come back from it, but I said the same thing at Halloween H2O when he gets his head chopped off and then Halloween resurrection happens. So take that for what it's worth. They could be like, that was someone else if they really want to, but I would be happy with this ending it for now. I feel like you're not going to see, well, it all depends on box office too. Like how is the box office now? You have to get a kind of, kind of graded on a curve because obviously kills came out during the pandemic no one was really going to the theater obviously streaming um this one you know did a dual release so i'm i, I the the numbers are, are all right i think maybe in five to ten like maybe ten years down the road we'd have a new Lori strode we have a new story but i wouldn't bet all my money on it i feel like Maybe this is for a long time. We're not going to see one just because I think we just had the, we had the Rob zombie ones and those were met so poorly. The second, especially that second one. I mean, the white horse, don't get me started. Um, I, I like them. I no no no. The first <laughs> one, the first one, I really, really enjoy the second one. Brother. Um, and this is someone who interviewed Rob zombie. Check it out on the pop break.com. Uh, but I, I, these, I feel like are received. I think this one, I think this one is actually going to age very well. And I think more and more people are going to like this movie. And I feel like we're not going to, I just don't see it in an immediate future, maybe down the road, but I don't see it in an immediate future. Like, like, I don't think there's anyone developing a new Halloween story right now. Like was, I feel like with like when the Rob zombie one ended, like Danny McBride and, was like, all right, I'm going to write, oh, I'll write one. You know what I mean? I just feel like it's going to take a long time if they do one. So, by the way, audience, listen to the three people who know what they're talking about, not me. Um, because if you're betting money on it, because they know. Uh, so let's get to our uh, overall thoughts, final thoughts on the film and how you would rate this on a scale of one to ten maniacal flaming pumpkins so ben i'm gonna start with you because every time i start with you you're always like fuck i'm not ready i'm trying to get behind your your rating system here like you had so much to go with and we got maniacal flaming pumpkins but i'm I mean, with you I'm with so it's not al, like al's not here so we can't do like you know lopped off body parts so sure. I, I can't do them dirty like that sure sure um so I'll, uh, I'm going to put it around a six and a half, I think, overall. Like, I'm, I'm almost at a seven. I think, like I talked about, I, I did enjoy this movie as a, as a standalone or even as a portion of the, you know, the whole series. I, I really did like it. And it was very ballsy for them to go in the direction that they went. And the opening was probably the best opening that we've gotten in a long time for a lot of horror movies, especially one of these. Um there was, you know, there is precedent for this type of thing, uh, you know, not focusing on the real killer. Like I think Friday the 13th new beginning did this uh, not nearly as well, <laughs> but uh, I think this was better written than kills was for me. Um, and I appreciated the story more. I just, I, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, I would have appreciated this story arc maybe taking place in the second part of the trilogy with then the OG characters and, you know, Laurie kind of coming together to end Michael and even, even in the same way, you know, in the third one, but uh I just would have liked to have focused on the, uh, I guess, their, you know, Laurie and Michael a little bit more for it to be the last one. Um, 
but that said, I mean, it had, it had some really, really great shots. I think I had three of my favorite kills out of, uh, out of the trilogy for sure. And out of Halloween in general, um, we got was a lot of, of, was one of them, the DJ. Yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, DJ was a good one. Uh, and then the, the blowtorch uh, down the throat was pretty solid. I like that one. Oof. Yeah, that, that was brutal. And I mean, the poor girl like trapped underneath the fence for like the whole sequence of everybody else getting killed was pretty gnarly. But um, yeah, Bannister, Bannister kid, you know, has to take the top spot regardless. Bannister kid, <laughs> the character uh, has a name. We're just gonna go. He doesn't deserve he doesn't a name need now. A name right He's now. Bannister kid. I am not going out of my way to IMDb him and figure out what his name is. Uh, I've only watched you it. Know, once. I th- I think it was Jeremy, but okay. I could be wrong. No, we'll go with that. It's Bannister kid. Bannister kid. <laughs> That's what we're sticking with. All right, so you're going six and a half, seven. Yeah. All right, Kelly. Uh, wh- what do you rank? What are you rating this? And your final thoughts. Flaming Maniacal Pumpkins out of 10. I'm going to give it a nine. Nice. And just some final thoughts on the film. Uh, You know, it was fun. It was ballsy. The amount of takeaway quotes, like, I can't wait to rewatch this just to, like, relive some of my favorite moments. Um, it, It just is an absolute pleasant surprise. And I'm so glad that none of this was spoiled for me. So... What a rad experience. Uh, for me, like I said, if you're looking at this as like, if you wanted really good closure, like like if you wanted Lori versus Michael, if you that's what you wanted for this movie, this movie fucking sucks for you. <laughs> like if that's what you wanted this whole movie to be them fighting in this senior citizen struggle, you're not going to like it. But as a film experience, I think it was... I remember laughing at certain parts. I'm like, this. so what are these decisions? But I haven't felt like this with a movie in a long time where it grows on me. And I'm like, wow, they made some really ballsy decisions. They did things that were not expected, nor were they needed, but they worked really well. So I'm going to go eight, Flaming Maniacal Pumpkins. This movie outkicked any expectations that I had for this film. And I'm so glad we did a podcast on this because it was just like, this was a joy. And I recommend anyone watch this. So Tommy, you're going to close this out since it's your favorite film franchise. And you already kind of tipped your hand, but tell us (laughs) what you're rating it and your final thoughts on the movie. Sweet. Uh, I got to shout out Anne real quick, just because she thought I hated this before. As did I. So uh, <laughs> she she thought we were going to fight, and I didn't want to tell her that we weren't. So uh, I, I loved nearly everything about this movie, from the opening, which is probably the greatest opening in all the movies. Uh, I got to give a nod to the credits, especially in all three, because the first Halloween has the original Halloween-style credits. Halloween Kills has the second Halloween-style credits. And this one pays homage to Halloween three season of the witch with the blue credits, which is awesome. I love the core the character of Corey. He was evil and tragic at the same time, especially with his mother who we didn't even touch on, but she was a horrible person. Oh. His stepdad, his stepdad dies. And that was hor- I don't think Corey was going to kill his stepdad, but he ended up dying anyway. As Ben said, some of my favorite kills in this blowtorch has to be one of them. Bannister kid, of course, another. And I was not upset with the final battle between Lori and Michael. I thought it is exactly what a final battle between two 60-year-olds would look like. And he went out getting probably a worse death than anyone he's ever killed. So I'm giving this, what is it, Maniacal Flaming Pumpkins? Yes. Is that what we're Nine and a half Maniacal Flaming Pumpkins. It is my second favorite Halloween movie. 
That is excellent, guys. So that is our final thoughts on Halloween ends. But before we go, I have three people who love horror movies. So I'm having them recommend to everyone a Halloween movie. They must watch their favorite Halloween movie, as well as a Halloween a horror movie from this year, since it's such a stacked year for horror. To, uh, to recommend for people watch this year. And then uh, at the same, and after their picks, they, you know, they're going to plug their social media and whatnot. So uh, Tommy, I'm going to start with you. Uh, an absolute you know, stalwart classic for Halloween and one that you saw this year that you think people should watch. Sure. Uh, and, I'm plug not your, pick, and plug your socials. And, so. and plug the socials. I'm not going to pick Halloween. That's the easy answer. So I'm going to pick 2007 anthology Trick or Treat. Which you're wearing uh, the shirt of right now. This is actually the 1986 horror oh. movie Trick or Treat, but this is Trick or Treat with little Sam, the pumpkin guy. Uh, it's one of the best horror anthologies of all time. I think it's spooky, it's creepy, it's funny, uh, it's gory. Um, if you can catch that one, I think it's playing in theaters Halloween weekend. Mm-hmm. So check that one out. I've been watching it every year for 15-ish years or so. One I saw this year that's also coming back to theaters this week, I think for its third or fourth week, is Terrifier 2, uh, which maybe a little long in the tooth at two and a half hours for a slasher movie, but was so fucking insane, much like Halloween ends that it kind of has to be seen to be believed. Yeah. And if you haven't heard about this movie, it's like literally people are apparently throwing up and passing out and just absolutely losing their minds over how scary this movie is. Yeah. It's, it's, it's wild. Um, socials. You can find me on Instagram and letterbox where I spend most of my time as pop culture, Tommy, and then sometimes I'll pop on Twitter as Pop Culture Tracy because someone stole the Tommy part from me. So that's where you'll find most of my stuff. And I think in December, I'll have my 2012 best of series coming out to round out the twos, if that makes sense. Yeah, because I skipped 20 years when I was putting you over. Yeah, before, you're fine. Speaking I, of yeah, Halloween 3, it's in my 1982 series. So go read that. Absolutely is. My friend, Ben Murkison. Tell us, uh, tell us your recommendations and then plug your socials for us. My favorite scary movie is uh, watching the Washington Commanders play football each and every Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a horror show. Uh, no, I mean, I've, I've referenced it a bunch of times, so I think it's well known. Like Scream is my favorite uh, ultimate. So I'll watch it sometimes multiple times throughout the year, but definitely at Halloween. Um, something a little bit more recent. I reviewed it earlier this year. Doesn't seem like it was this year, but it was early this year. Um, X that came out. Yes. It's one of the first movies I went to go see in theaters after I was able to go back and do that. Um, really fun blend of like old and new horror out of A24. Um, plays homage to a lot of like the classics like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, got a great cast. It's basically just a bunch of people um, rent out a creepy cabin on a creepy farm to form a porno and then, you know, hijinks and sue. A lot of people die. Uh, there's apparently the sequel that I haven't seen yet. Mia Goth, the same character, plays like a prequel. Um, so it's called Pearl. And so that, I think, is out now, too. You guys might be able to tell me. Uh, but I haven't yeah. gotten around to that it's one yet. It's definitely been out. It's definitely been cool. released. I don't know if it's on VOD or not just yet. Yeah. So I'm sure that one's probably good as well. Um, you can find me uh, at BD Murkison. Um, on Instagram and on Twitter. Um, I haven't written anything lately, but uh, I am going to do, uh, I got a screener for a peripheral um, with Chloe Grace Moretz. So I'm going to go through and be writing that. Uh, I'm going to watch the whole series and just do a whole one on that. It looks like a futuristic sci-fi thriller. Could go either way, but uh, hopefully it's good. So we'll uh, see. Check out Ben's review of the first three episodes of Andor on the Uh Kelly, I mean, 
I can't wait for these recommendations. By the way, go back to the if you want to go back to our Halloween episode from last year. Ben said the first movie that scared the crap out of him that got him into horror was Ernest Scared Stupid. So, I stand by that. I, I just had to bring that up. So have you watched it lately? No. Okay. Well, <laughs> I don't think I've ever even seen it, and that's fine. I, I'm not missing it out on anything in life, but I'm glad it scared you. Um, ben, I'll see you in like two weeks on this podcast. Don't worry. Um, Kelly, your recommendations and where people can find you on social media. All right. Uh, my recommendations, um, well, one of my classic favorites, um, in my opinion, not necessarily scary, but it did receive a 4K re-release this year is The Lost Boys. It's like uh, the vampire goonies for adults. Oh. <laughs> yes. Um, it's it's just an incredibly good time. Um, just tons of attractive people walking around being so cool um especially the saxophone player oh, the, <laughs> the best character in cinematic history sexy sax man um from this year one of my favorites that came out earlier in the year is a finnish horror film called hatching it um deals a lot with uh kind of a coming of age story uh the horrors of uh perfectionism but they set design is just something to behold there is a lot of great wallpaper in this movie and there is a lot of practical effects that lend to just this being one of the coolest things i've probably seen this year so that's um hatching and my social media handles are you can find me on twitter instagram and letterbox at kel at the movies that's with one l um as for me, if I have to kind of cheat a little bit, I'll say that my classic recommendation is Shaun of the Dead, because why shouldn't you laugh during the spookiest season of the year? I absolutely love this film. It has some great scary moments in it. Uh, we're going to be, like I said, first podcast of next year, season four, kicking off the review of Shaun of the Dead. If I can't, if I had to pick another one, because I haven't seen any horror movies from 2022 yet, although I might watch barbarian which because apparently that's coming to hbo in a week or so um and i might regret watching barbarian and not sleep for a while uh but my other pick i just watched this year so i'll i'll make it count is midsummer uh that movie wow that's just crazy and uh yep i know oh that's a beautiful poster by the way uh i referenced that movie way too often on this podcast and just because it's just insane and if you have never seen it just go see it. I'm not going to spoil anything. Florence Pugh is amazing in it. Um, and as for me, uh, I'm the editor-in-chief of ThePopBreak.com. This is the flagship podcast of that site. We've been doing this for 13 years. Go check us out every single day. We're talking about movies, television, pro wrestling, comic books, video games, anime, and music. Like our music coverage right now, we just shot Iron Maiden at an arena in massachusetts which is not on my bingo card for this year but all right we'll be covering the when we were young uh festival in las vegas uh tons of stuff that's covered you know we've covered this year nine inch nails arctic monkeys lord green day um gorillas a lot of great stuff so go check it check us out thepopbreak.com at the pop break on instagram which uh ben is actually going to be started running for us soon at the pop break on twitter uh, as for me, if you must follow me, I'm at Bodkin Writes on Twitter. It's a lot of wrestling references. Only Tommy will really get. And, of course, my stuff that I've done over at thepopbreak.com. So thank you, everyone. 
for joining us for the Halloween Ends podcast. This is the spookiest podcast we will do all year. Of course, next week we head to Westeros to talk about House of the Dragon. <laughs>